Get the name Reverend. Yeah, that'd be nice. The Rev. Um, everyone, first, before I start, I want to thank you for bearing with me and my awful ability to do admin. Um, I put that together for Dave, that list of announcements, while I was at the cinemas last night, and he messaged me and said, what do I say tomorrow? And I thought, oh, jeepers, I was supposed to do that during the week. So thank you for bearing with us. We are getting on to better admin, I promise. There's some exciting things to come. I want to start my sermon this morning by saying this, that I was reading through the scriptures, I was reading about John the Baptist during the week, and I had this incredible revelation that this book and this Christianity that we follow is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I was I was sitting there reading about John the Baptist, about how he goes to the wilderness and he gives over his life and he lives in barely unlivable conditions and and the stories that they knew about him. And then you read about the disciples and the life they lived and they gave themselves over and they were beaten and torn apart and that they, they gave all that they had to this life to follow this man, Jesus, that they had heard about and that had come and shown some signs and wonders. They gave everything to him. And I started realizing, man, this thing is insane. And then as I was sitting there this morning just worshiping and playing drums and I was just thinking to myself, we are a group of people standing in a room singing and worshipping, giving up our Sunday morning when we should be out in the surf. Well, not today because it's raining at home watching TV. But this thing that we gather together is so unusual. But then as I was sitting there, I realized, but I don't want to be anywhere else. And I don't want to give my life to anything else. This is the only thing that I've ever seen. And I've looked into a lot of things that I've found value and worth in. It's the only thing that makes absolute sense. But while I was sitting there, I was thinking through it and I, I read a book during the week and it, it said, you know, that there's this understanding that God doesn't tell us everything. And he said, we can either be upset at the things he hasn't shown us or we can be empowered and encouraged by the things he has shown us. And I thought, man, what an incredible place to be. Either I can look at the things that I don't understand or I can go, God, these things that you have shown me, I'm so grateful for. And I woke up this morning and I thought, man, what an incredible time to be alive, that we wake up and I have breath in my lungs, that I have a a warm, comfortable bed and I have a coffee machine that turns on while I'm still asleep and heats up so that when I get downstairs, I can make myself a delicious cup of coffee. I get to come to this place and be with people who love me and who I love and and there's a a sense of camaraderie and and community that when I stuff up, I, I get told to stand up and keep walking and when I'm doing well, I get a pat on the back. There's this understanding that this thing is insane yet I don't want to be anywhere else and as I'm going to share a story this morning continuing on through Acts the story is insane these people gave themselves for everything because they trusted who Jesus was they understood who he was and they said I'm not going to go anywhere that he's not because he's the only piece of life that I have So in times when we're sitting in a place and we're going, God, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand what this is. I don't understand what you're doing. But the things you have shown me, I'm going to hold on to those because I know who you are. I trust you and I love you. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to Acts 3. It's going to be Acts 3, 1 to 10 for the beginning. And then I'm going to read the next section. I'm going to read quite a hefty piece of scripture. I'll be using the ESV. 
I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture. So I, if, if you don't want to follow along, you just want to close your eyes and listen to the, 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 the things that are happening in the time, do that. But I want to talk about the story. I want to highlight some of the characters that are being portrayed. And I want to talk through what it is that's happening in this scene. So last week I spoke about the, the fall of Pentecost, that the Spirit came and that the church sort of emerged um, in a different way. The church was already there before Pentecost, but it emerged in a different sense after Pentecost. There was power given from on high. There was a joining of the Jews and the Gentiles. There was this new understanding of church and how it, it folded out. They were a learning, loving, worshipping, and evangelistic church. There were the four areas that they pressed into. They, they learnt off, off, the, off the apostles about Christ. They loved each other. They continued to worship God. And they went out into the place to talk and express who he was and who he is for them. So I'm reading from Acts 3, 1 verse 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and stood, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power... All, all piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, while he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as you did, as, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come for the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise you up, uh, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And the prophets whom have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, set him to you first to be blessed. You, 
to, to bless you by turning every one of you from wickedness. I know it's a long piece of scripture, but it highlights, the beginning part highlights two, two characters, and the end part that I'm going to read highlights the third. But there's three characters that take place in this story. But this is an insane piece of history that's taking place. They've just seen the power on Pentecost. They've just been all pepped up from Peter's sermon that he gave and he saw thousands coming to the church. And now they leave and they're heading toward the temple courts of which none of this would have been proclaimed. They're heading to a place where Jesus was known as an enemy. Jesus was known as a, 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 break, a, a breaker of things and, a, and a, a, a rebellion in many senses. But the first character that we see in this is the lame man. A man crippled and broken from birth. He's embarrassed, worthless and lifeless. But he's placed every day at the beautiful gate. We know that he's there every day because it seems in the latter part of the verse that everybody who was there knew who he was. They saw this man. They passed him every day going into worship. Every day they went to the temple courts. They would have seen this man laying there crippled, asking for alms. And, and, and we see in, in the later part that he's an older man. But the interesting thing is that he's placed at the gate, which is called the beautiful gate. And if you look at that word in the Greek, it's the word hereos, and it, and it means to belong to the right hour or season or to be timely. So the word we see, the beautiful gate, and we, we instantly we think, wow, he's at the gate, which is beautiful because he's at a place where he could meet God. And that's a beautiful thing. But what it actually means is that he was in the right place at the right time, awaiting the appointment of Christ, awaiting the appointment for who God was. And the beautiful thing is, is that he, he never fails to move. He's positioned there every day. Could you imagine every day, crippled and lame, you, your, your one thing is, well, I have nothing else to do and I have no food to eat, no money. Take me to the gate. Take me there and let me ask of those who are allowed in. I'm not allowed in because he would have been seen as dirty and unclean from birth, that there would have been something in his family, a sin or something that was causing him to not be allowed in. Yet take me to that place where the people, hopefully I will be there at the right time, at the appointed time where I can see something new. He positioned himself willing to wait willing to see change come to his life. See, as Christians, often, often we position ourselves where we say, okay, I need this breakthrough, so I'm going to go today and I'm going to pray, and if I don't get it, God doesn't want me to have it. But sometimes we fail to see the, re the repeating pattern of waiting for the timing of God. God, I'm going to come before you and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask until the thing breaks that I need to change my life. You see, if we're asking of God to bring glory to his name, it says in the scriptures that we will be granted those things. That if the thing in our heart is really to glorify God, we will be granted those things. But we must continue to ask. We must bring ourselves back to the gate day in and day out and bring ourselves before him to say, God, I want to glorify you in this. I want this gift because I believe that it will glorify your name and I'm not going to cease asking until that precise timing comes where you allow me to step into the fullness of that. It's a persistence that we see from the beggar that allows him to be healed. It's a persistence to see change in his life that allows him to be healed. He waits again and again and again in absolute shame. How do we know it's absolute shame? Because when the disciples come to him, when the disciples come, they ask him, look at me. Look at me. His posture is that he refuses to look 
at the disciples. His head's down. He's probably laying on the ground on a piece of cardboard. If you've ever been to a, a third world nation and seen people begging on the streets, it's a sad, broken place to be. There is no pride. There is, there is nothing but shame and loneliness. He's in a place of absolute shame, yet he says, I will push past the shame to ask God for the things that I need. See, often we, we get caught up in our pride and we refuse to ask God or we refuse to ask somebody for help. We refuse to position ourselves in a place where we say, hey, I don't have it all together. Please, would you help me? I think oftentimes we get caught in that with God as well, where we say, hey, God, I, I don't need your help. I've got it all covered. But what the, what the man, the layman teaches us in this place is that through that place where you feel shame, where you feel broken, you come to him time in and time out, and you put yourself before the gate and say, God, I'm willing to hear your voice. Please, can you help me? To ask the people around you, please, can you help me? I don't understand what's happening, but I need, I need help. Don't let shame hold you back from what God wants you to have. Romans 10, 11 says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will we not be put to shame, but the shame we get pulled out of from what Christ has done to us, what Christ has brought us into, what Christ has allowed us to step into. It's shame often that stops us from stepping into the fullness of God. The refusal to go and get on our knees and say, God, I want to see you. God, I don't have this gift. God, I don't have the finances to be able to bless those around me. God, I don't have this or that to see your name glorified. We refuse to actually ask him because we feel like we, shouldn't, we should have it all together. Most of us, all of us, don't have it all together. The disciples didn't have it all together. We have to be able to come to God. Don't let shame stop you from coming before him. And don't give in. Don't go to the gate once, sit on the ground, go, well, I didn't get any money and I didn't get healed, so I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back. Don't go once or twice and then say, well, God doesn't want me to have this. I tell a story of my auntie. My auntie was, was born deaf in one ear, completely deaf and partially deaf, deaf in the other. And she's a phenomenal woman of God. She is passionate. She loves God with all her heart. She will go on the worship band and sign because she wants to, to break into those who can't hear. But every time someone from the pulpit asks a prayer, she comes forward. She's not once been healed, but every time she'll come forward. And I remember someone asked her, we were at dinner, and someone said to her, don't you think that, that that's like embarrassing that you've gone forward so many times and you've never been healed? She says, I refuse to give in. God wants me whole, so I will ask him every day of my life. And if I don't get whole, he's still king. And I remember hearing that and think to myself, jeepers, that's faith. That's faith of a woman who, who refuses to give in, who goes to the gate on her knees every day and waits for the right person, waits for the perfect timing of God, waits for the season where God says, now I will give you all the things that you ask to glorify my name. We have to keep coming back again and again and again and again. God, I know you've called me to this. I refuse to give in. God, I know that you've asked me to do this. I refuse to give in. I will go to the gate. We learn so much from the beggar. We learn so much from the crippled man that often when we read this story, we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. But I was reading this during the week thinking, flip. I want to be the lame man. 
I want to be the guy who has enough faith to come back again and again and hope for something bigger and something brighter. And the moment that I see breakthrough, even though he wasn't instantly fully healed, that he, he gets up and he's trying to walk. He is so overjoyed. And he says there three times that he glorified the name of God. He glorified the name of God. He glorified the name of God. Everything that he did, everything that was in him now was glory to you, Yahweh. Was glory. I'm poor and broken. He wasn't brought out of his poverty. But he realizes I'm no longer unclean. I've been made new. I've been made whole. I'm allowed into the place that you said I'm not allowed in. I'm allowed to come into the temple courts and worship he who just made me whole. And I've never been allowed to do that. And that's because of who you are, God. Glory to you. We learn so much from the lame men. But the next character that we see in the story are the two disciples. Peter and John. Sorry, I just lost my place. Still getting used to using not my iPad. The next characters we see, Peter and John, the two disciples. Now, you need to understand what's taking place. Often we read this out of context in the way that the disciples, this was an easy task for the disciples. But you have to remember that Jesus was just crucified. the town would have been still reeling with those who wanted to kill the followers of Jesus. There would have been an uproar that this man had died and risen again and they couldn't find his body. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were in the temple courts, would have been confused, angry, and on watch for anyone preaching the name of the rebel Jesus. These guys go in right in amongst the fight. They've just been hiding per se, in the upper room. They've been in a place waiting for God. The power's felt. They've stepped out. They've made one public um, sermon where they've preached and thousands have come. Their names would have been circling around the city. These men are coming and they're proclaiming the name of the one who we just killed. This is not an easy walk in the park where they just go to the temple courts. The temple courts was the one place that they were saying that Jesus was not allowed to be because he was pulling apart everything they had built. He was a rebel in the highest account to those Pharisees and scribes. Not only that, everything that Jesus spoke about had to take part to pull down all the power that the Pharisees and the scribes would have had, that the chief priests would have had. What Jesus did was say, hey, you know how you guys had this whole system where you had to learn how to be a Pharisee, spend years learning the Torah, spend years understanding, sitting in front of a disciple? Guess what? Now everybody gets to become a disciple. You've spent years learning how to do this. You've spent years acquiring the job of a head Pharisee, of a head scribe. Now everybody gets to have what you have. They would have been angry. They would have been cranky and they would have been fiery against stopping this move of Jesus because he's going to break down everything we built. Yet Peter and John decide that's where we have to go. We have to take the worship of God back to the place that it began in, in the temple court. Let's gather and let's go. Let's walk right in there. And the most powerful thing, again, that blows me away in the full first pass of Acts is that every time something happens, every time a miracle happens, every time there's a powerful move of God, the disciples say this, don't look at the move, look at who he is. Look at Jesus. The first thing Peter does when he sees the man healed is, you think we did this? You're looking at us like we're some sort of heroes. 
It was never us who did this. Let me tell you about Christ. He preaches the gospel. Every time we see the powerful move of God in the scriptures, it goes back to the gospel of Christ, back to the gospel of Christ. The good news. Yes, this crippled man has been healed. It's phenomenal. Yes, he, he's now jumping and going with joy. Yes, it is incredible. But let me tell you about Jesus because it will change your life. See, we can come through physical brokenness. We can come through poverty into riches. We can come from any earthly ailment into fullness. But nothing compares to what Christ did for us and allows us to step into that fullness. So every powerful move of God, every time the Spirit moves, yes, it's incredible. Yes, we want to see it. But it's so much more incredible who Christ is and what he's doing in our lives. See, that's why when people go to the streets and they pray for people and they want to see somebody healed, there's a healing that comes. There's a, there is a presence of God that moves and the person gets healed. But that's exciting. But you know what's even more exciting? Jesus wants to bring you back into fullness with the Father. Your heart was broken and lost. And let me tell you, that's the best healing you can step into. You see, the, the signs and wonders of the gospel are to point back to Jesus to show us that he is everything that we could ever want or need. I love signs and wonders. Yes, I want to see things moving. I want to see powerful things that we've never seen before, of course. But more than any of that, I want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to know that more and more and more. If I don't see any signs and wonders, but I know Jesus like no one else, that'll do me. The signs and the wonders are amazing, but they point to Jesus. Peter never stops to, to, to point out the fact, hey, guess what? You guys who are all here, who are cheering and clapping for this, you killed the author of life. He was right here before you and you couldn't see. He was standing right in this place. He should have been here preaching, but you guys killed him. But guess what? You haven't lost it because you can repent and come right into what he has for you. I love that he says that to them. I love that there's this amazing, it's almost like it's a killjoy that this man, crippled man gets healed and then Peter steps up and slams them. Like they're all pumped up on mountain dew. He's been healed. This is so exciting. And he goes, guess what? You killed the man who healed him. And had he been here, he could have laid hands on them, but you took him. But guess what? He raised again. He was ascended to the highest. He now sits as king on the throne, and he's allowed you to repent and enter into forgiveness and be with him. Everything you took away didn't work, and he's saying you can have everything back. That is phenomenal. That is an incredible understanding of the fact that Jesus, Jesus had this all planned out. When he's on, hanging on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. That's phenomenal. That they had beaten him half to death. They'd beaten him all but to death. And he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And then Peter and John, they understand that when they come into the temple court because they say, he, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you repentance. But you have to shift from what you're doing. Move yourself away from the things of the world onto the things of Christ. And he will give you the repentance of which you seek. That verse, Matthew 28, 19, that I explained uh, last week about the, the call of God, go into all the earth. The verse before that is what's so incredible. Because when God gives us the power, we, we will go. We say, if God gives us the power, we'll go. But God's saying, I've already given you the power. The verse before that in Matthew 20, 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven 
end on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Therefore, you can go. So that verse, we have it written at the back on the thing. And I, I, I purposely put therefore in front of it because you have to go and read the first verse earlier. The reason we can go with power, the reason the disciples were able to walk in with all authority and all power at the gate to say stand and walk is because they carried the authority that Jesus gave them. He said, I have all the authority on heaven and on earth and I give it to you, now you can go. We've been given that same authority. I had a friend, I don't remember where it came from, I had a friend who had a dream and he went to, he had a dream that he was in heaven and he met Moses and Moses asked him this question. He said, wow, what was it like? What is it like to have Christ living inside of you? What is it like to have the Holy Spirit there all the time? That gives me chills because I'm like, flip, Moses did everything he did without the power living inside him. He waited for the Spirit to move. We have the Spirit flowing through us. He's saying that what Jesus did and gave you, man, we wish we had that. All the, all the Abraham, Moses, all the guys we read in the Old Testament. And we operate now in this day and in this age with the creator of the universe inside of us. The temple court that they would go into to pray, Jesus says we are that temple that houses God. The inside, holy of holies, a place that they would go, becomes us as a people. We have the most incredible, powerful place, and yet we miss it so often. The disciples didn't miss it. They knew who they were. They went in the authority and the power God had given them, and they said to the man, rise and walk, for it is the power that Jesus gave you that allows you to step into fullness and into healing. Verse 7 is interesting, because John and Peter, they bend down, to help the crippled man. They bend down to pray for him. And Acts 3 verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Then later on in the verse, it says that he's holding on to Peter. That it's almost like the healing didn't really fully take place. It was like he was healed, but it was still sort of outworking as he was getting excited and walking through the temple courts. But the beautiful thing here is that this man would have understood something he would have never seen. He understood the love of a brother that he didn't know. Instantly he gets healed and he sees the love of the church of Jesus Christ because he stands there and the man hugs him. No one would have ever touched this man because he was a cripple and he was worthless and he was dirty. No one would have touched him. Even if they gave him money, they would have dropped it in from afar so that they didn't get the filth and the gross that he had on him. Yet when the disciples pray for him, they bend down and they embrace him. Instantly they show that they are a loving people. Instantly they show it doesn't matter who you are anymore. You're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. But it doesn't matter because God came for all of us. He loves you more than he loves, sorry, he loves you as much as he loves the Jews. He loves you. And I'm going to show you that by breaking all the rules, I'm going to bend down and I'm going to pick you up. That would have been mind-boggling for the lame man. Like he had never, ever seen a love poured out instantly. So not only has he been healed, he's instantly accepted into a people that he was never accepted into. Then he goes into a place he was never allowed. The disciples didn't just see this man healed. They saw him enter into the kingdom of God. They saw him become a brother, a son, 
They saw an orphan instantly broken and lost become a son in Christ. And this man understands exactly what happens because he comes in and he worships God. I was never given this chance because from birth I've been a nobody, broken and crippled. Yet the disciples knew the authority they carry. He steps up and instantly he becomes a son. That is powerful. That is absolutely amazing to see that. I'm just speculating here. This is Ben's take. But I think he would have been more impressed that he got the hug and the, and the camaraderie and the brotherhood of Peter and John than he was his healing. Imagine being that lonely, that broken for so long. You've never known the love and all of a sudden he gets entered into this place that he's never been before. That is huge. There's a theologian named Thomas Walker and he says this. He says, the disciples bent down and helped him, not because they didn't believe that he would be healed, but because the power was Christ, but the hand was Peter's. The power was given on high from Christ, but the hand that it outworked through was Peter's. You see, Peter was there to, to flow through the Holy Spirit onto this man's life. Our place on this earth is incredibly important because God flows through us into those the power is always Christ's, but the hands are ours. God uses us in a position. He uses us in a place. Yes, there are some men and women who are gifted in the realm of healing, but all of us have the same spirit and power operating that flow through us. All of us have the opportunity to stand and be the hand like Peter was, like Peter's was, to stand and say, God, I will be there. I will be there to do as you ask. There is miraculous hearing, healing that takes place and then they directly tell the people not to marvel at that but rather to repent and marvel at Jesus. They killed the wrong man and now they have the opportunity to come to him and fix their gaze on the one true king. In the Christian world today, we are marveled by the gifts given by God but we need desperately to stop marveling at the gifts and begin once more to marvel at Jesus. We have to shift our gaze as a people. We have to shift our gaze from the things that we see man doing onto the things that we see God doing. Yes, there's honor. Yes, we, we honor a man who's willing to say, God, I'll use my hands. And there are some phenomenal people in the world who have given of themselves to see God's power move. But the moment we shift our gaze from Jesus, we've lost the plot. We're in the wrong place. The moment we start thinking, if only I could get to that man, I'll be healed. We're in the wrong place. The moment we start thinking, I've got to just see this special preacher, we're in the wrong place. Because in every place we walk into, in every church that we go to, the one person we want to see more than anything is Jesus. Please, God, can I see you? Please, can I come? I just want to be with you. I want to be with my brothers and sisters and I want to see you beyond everything else. And he will move in a people whose hearts are willing to see him move. He will reveal himself to a heart, to a people who have a heart who are willing to see him. That's the layman and the, and the two disciples. If you've still got your Bible, I'm going to read from Acts 4, the next part of the verse, starting at 1. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas, with, with Anas, I think is how you say his name, the high priest and, and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all these people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in other but in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had, f had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The final character we see are the religious leaders. And this is the scariest character in the story. They perceived that what had happened was true and said it was Christ who he was who he said he was. They realized that this man who we just crucified was who he said he was because the things that he spoke of, you will do greater works than I, is now taking place right in their temple courts. But because they didn't want to lose their position, they didn't want to give away what they had, they didn't want to bend their knee and say, God, we don't understand this thing, but we want to know who you are. Because they won't do that, they threaten them, stop this and let them go. You see, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day had everything to lose. Everything. We don't see it here, but I, I would find it interesting to know if all that were in those meetings felt like that because the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was moving through John and Peter, yet they still deny the fullness of Jesus. 
You see, sometimes we think if we can just operate with the fullness of Holy Spirit, if the people just see the Holy Spirit, they will, they will have to give themselves over. They will have to say Jesus is who he says he is and he's king. But the reality is, is that all of us still have the decision to make that choice. That God will never take your will to force your hand into saying that he's king. We see right here with the, with the uh, sorry with the with the religious leaders that the Holy Spirit was moving through them, declared the power of God. The room would have been filled with power and the Spirit moving. Yet still, they decided if we say yes to this, we'll lose everything. No, He's not the King. See, oftentimes we can we can give somebody all the right points as to why Jesus is who He says He is, all the right points as to why Christianity is, is the way of life that allows you to step into fullness and freedom, and yet that person can still say, I don't want it. It's not for me. I don't believe you. I don't believe it. But it's the most powerful thing that happens here is that Peter, uh, Peter and John, they say it was you, religious leaders, who killed him. They get the same opportunity to repent, yet because of their position, they choose not to. You see, the people out, out in, the, in the, 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 the court before they enter inside where the prison is, they, they give themselves to God, that they all believe. That's why they didn't want to go before them and say this wasn't true, because there were so many who heard what Peter said after the lame man was healed, that they had already started giving themselves to God. You crucified him, but you have the opportunity to repent. We want to repent. What do we have to do? But then he gives the same opportunity to the religious leaders, the same opportunity to those who had a lot to lose, and they will not do it. What I have is better than anything you can offer me. Jesus did the same thing with the rich young ruler. Go and sell everything you have. Why? Because Christians should be poor? No, because he was challenging the, the position of his heart. Give me all that you have, and you can come with me. No. Because what I have is better than what you can give me. Often, we get ourselves in a position where we become the religious leader. Where we think we have it all figured out. We think we have all the bits and bobs that we need. And all the things that are, are, are in us. And we, we don't need anything else. We don't need to give ourselves over to asking for repentance. Or to asking for, for forgiveness. Because we feel, no, we have everything we need. We're in a good position. And this is, this is Peter and John through the Holy Spirit saying, you are in the wrong place. Repent and give yourself over. As a people, we have to start understanding, and, and I think this is rife in the church, because this position that the religious leaders are in is the very same position as the second brother in the prodigal son. The religious leaders in this story are the same as the second brother. But hang on, he squandered everything. Why do I, why do I not get more than he's got? The religious leaders are standing there saying, hang on a second, we spent years breaking our backs to understand the Torah, to understand the scriptures, to know who you are. We've followed all these rules for all our life. Why do they get the same stuff that we get? You see, jealousy was rife in them because the message of grace meant that all the work they had put in was worth the same as somebody who had not put it in. You see, these people go from, from broken, these are fishermen, they're being told in the high court of the temple that they're wrong by fishermen. They had spent their whole life since, since 14 learning, growing, understanding, 
learning the scripture word for word for word for word. And then they stand in to bring judgment. And a fisherman says, you're wrong. And Jesus Christ, the one you killed, was the Messiah. How many of us in that position would have gone, you know right, Mr. Fisherman, who's been reading these, the scriptures for three years while you've been with Jesus and I've been reading it my whole life? I'll, I'll agree with you, I'm wrong. See, we often get ourselves in a position where we will look over our lives and go, well, I've done this, this and this. I've been reading the scriptures since I was however old. And then a young kid comes in and says, hey, I felt God tell me this. And we go, that's not here. It doesn't know anything. I've faced this challenge in many meetings. Uh, one in particular I went into and I was the youngest in the room by 35, 40 years. And I was sitting in the car praying I said, God, what can I do? What do you want me to do in this meeting? These are men who have been leading churches for 30 years. I've been here a year. What do you want me to do? And I felt God say to me, just do what I say. And I went in there more scared and more nervous than any meeting I've ever been in. I sat silently in the corner thinking to myself, flip, I'll just say nothing. And then I'll write some things down and I'll send an email at the end of the meeting. And I was sitting in this meeting and one of the guys who was, is very well known and did a lot of the talking in the meeting directly pointed to me and said, hey, Ben, what are your thoughts? And instantly, Holy Spirit told me something that was wrong in the meeting. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness. God, I have to tell all these men that have been debating this topic for now an hour that, th that it's wrong, that we're looking at the wrong thing. But I promised in the car when I was praying, God, I will do what you ask me to do. So I, I told my thing and there was silence. And one other guy who was a, a very also well-known church leader said, you know what? He's right. And instantly I was like, oh my goodness. That could have been an absolute, that could have been an absolute sword-drawn battle. <laughs> but you see, I, I listened to what God had for me. It doesn't matter my age. It doesn't matter. It matters where I say, God, if you tell me to say, do something, I'll do it. Right? These, these disciples step into a position against the Pharisaical leaders, against, against all of the authority, but they had been given the authority by Christ. Christ says, I have the authority in heaven and on earth, and I'm going to flow through you. So it's you now who carries the authority when you walk into a room. But it's authority given unto by God. You don't get to walk in and decide, hey, I'm the man of the hour. Go humbly. I've never been, my voice must, I must have sounded like a church mouse when I said something because I was nervous because I, I, I said, God, I, you have to speak. What happens in, what happens in this moment is that the, the disciples through the power and authority given unto by God speak up and they challenge the Pharisaical leaders. We have to be a people though that are not, that are not jealous with the things we see around us. If God is moving, it doesn't matter who it's through. Allow God to be the power and the authority that speaks in an area. The Sadducees could arrest the disciples, but they could not arrest the gospel. John Stott writes that in his book about Acts. The Sadducees could arrest the disciples, but they could not arrest the gospel. The disciples laid down their life. They started a wildfire inside the temple courts. Thousands got saved. And the, and the Pharisees didn't know what to do. Even though they arrested the two disciples, the power of God continued to move through. Timmy, do you want to just lead us back in some worship just for a couple of minutes?
I wanted to go and pray and, and talk about how the believers pray for, pray for boldness, but I've just realized it's seven minutes past 11, so I might leave that. But there's a powerful thing to understand in this scripture that, I, that I'm challenged by as I read through Acts. The, the, the first thing is that God is speaking to us in so many different areas than we think. There's so many different layers to what the disciples are operating in and seeing. But the thing is, is that they never, ever, ever take their eyes off Jesus. They never shift away from him. They never, ever move to say, we're doing this. Look how incredible the power is. Look how incredible the move of the gift is. Look how amazing. Always, they say, look at Jesus. Go back to the gospel. Go back to who he is, who he says that he is. That's the power in all that we see in Acts, is that even though Jesus had ascended, everything they did was because of what he did on that cross. Everything that happens is because of who he is and what he manages to, to see happen. I just want to go back into to worship for a couple of minutes. But if you're, if, if I don't say this, I'm going to get in trouble. If you're a parent, can you please go and sign your children out of kids' church? We're doing that because we want to protect the kids. We now have a safety system and you have to just go and say, I'm a parent, they can come with me. But I just want to go back into worship because I, I, I feel like I want us just to take some time on this and to, to ask God if where, where, what we learn from this story, what, what is revealed to us through this story, how we can see Him and know Him more in this. Why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray. Because I, 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 the more and more that I look through Acts, the more and more I spend time in this, the more and more I see that we've missed the importance of Jesus in a lot of what we do. I was speaking with um, a friend of mine the other day, Len, and, and, and I was saying, you know, it's amazing that sometimes we preach sermons and we fail to mention the name of Jesus. We point toward a topic or we point towards something, but we fail to reveal how it's Jesus that actually brings us into fullness and freedom in that topic. But why don't we just take a moment and just as Tim leads us back into worship, Jesus, we, we come before you now. around us, God, we just, we quiet ourselves and we position ourselves to look at you, Lord. I pray, God, that we will be as filled with hope and perseverance like the lame man was, to wait for that perfect time of you, to bring ourselves to that gate that waits for that perfect time. God, that we will be like the disciples, bold to walk into whatever it is that you're calling us into to operate in the fullness of you, to have your spirit flow through us and move into all those areas and places that it needs to move, to bring light to the darkness. And Jesus, I pray that you reveal the areas of our heart that is like the Pharisees. Reveal the areas of our heart, God, that, that says that we're better than those around us, that we know more than those around us. Reveal the areas of our heart that are shutting you out and not letting you in. 
God, reveal the areas of our heart, Lord, that are stopping your spirit from moving into whatever area that is. God, we love you. We honor you. We just give ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.